Hello, and welcome to this final episode of season two of The Artist's Creed. This is episode six, The Man Who Read With His Mouth Closed, Open Parentheses, and The Spirit Who Didn't, Closed Parentheses. If you have no idea what that means and you would like to find out, then keep listening. My name is Drew Miller. I'm the producer of the Rabbit Room Podcast Network and conversation partner to Steve Guthrie, host of The Artist's Creed. And what a fun, wild ride it has been. We have so enjoyed getting to talk about Steve's blog series, Spirit and Sound, that he wrote last year in the thick of 2020. There were six parts to that blog series and thus six episodes to this season of The Artist's Creed. And in each episode, we have unpacked the corresponding blog post from last year and left no stone unturned. And it's been so much fun um, for us and we hope for you as well. So this episode starts with kind of a funny anecdote about St. Augustine. Um, It wasn't funny to him, but it's funny to us, and uh, (laughs) you'll see why. And we go in all sorts of directions from there. Um, Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoy and that this is fruitful for you. Hello, this is The Artist's Creed, and I'm Steve Guthrie. This season on The Artist's Creed, we are thinking about uh, the third article of the Nicene Creed, which talks about uh, the Holy Spirit, and we're thinking about the Holy Spirit as the sounding breath of God. We've been working our way through the Creed. Um, Last podcast, we talked about, we believe in the Holy Spirit who has spoken through the prophets, and focused on that word through. This time, we're at the same part of the creed, but we're really focusing on who has spoken through the prophets. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. I'm happy, as always, to be here with my friend Drew Miller. Hello, Drew. Hello. Happy to be with you, Steve. Thank you. Um, Man, I'm so excited to dig into this last um, conversation, which correlates to part six, the final post in your series from yes. 2020 the final um, post spirit and sound yeah so soon to be made into a six part motion picture produced by peter jackson yeah it's not uh, gonna did be the, a netflix uh, original it. yes it is we're very excited about that no sadly okay. it's not but yeah no okay. but we but we do need to start thinking about what to do in season three i guess uh, yeah um, who knows yeah who even the, knows? the world is our oyster you had a very clever name for this part six, uh, it goes, the man who read with his mouth closed oh. and the spirit who didn't. Yes. It's very, very uh, esoteric for those of us. Evocative and provocative. Pro- provocative, yeah. Yeah. Both evocative and provocative. So what in the world are you talking about? I don't know. I just wanted to be provocative, really. Oh, okay. <laughs> have you ever, actually, have you ever read the book, The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat by Oliver <laughs> Sacks? No, I, I think reckon, you reference it though. In this, do I? I maybe. Uh, who knows? I, but I recommend it to everybody. It's very interesting. Oliver Sacks was a neurologist who um, specialized in uh, particularly kind of neurological disorders. People who had had strokes or whatever, and had hmm. because one particular part of their brain was disabled or whatever, they yeah. suddenly perceived the world very differently. Fascinating. But this post has absolutely nothing to do with that. So maybe you could just edit all that right the heck out if you want, Drew, you know. But, but I won't. 
<laughs> so, um, yeah, the man who spoke with, what did, what did I call it? The man who's read without moving his. The, the man who read with his mouth closed. The man who read with his mouth closed. And so the this spirit is, who didn't. So who is yeah, this man who read This man is Ambrose of Milan. Ambrose of Milan was the Bishop of Milan in Italy and was actually um, largely responsible for leading Augustine, the great, you know, St. Augustine of Hippo. Mm-hmm. Um, Ambrose was responsible for kind of leading him back to the Christian faith of his youth. Mm. So Ambrose um, had a great reputation as a powerful speaker and a brilliant thinker. Augustine, um, even before he had con- reconverted to Christianity or whatever, he really he admired Ambrose. Mm-hmm. Um, and he talked about how he would go to see him and he would look for an opportunity when he could talk with him privately. And he mentions, this is from Augustine's Confessions. It's a famous passage um, that, you know, mentions kind of coming upon Ambrose in his study. And he, he says, um, the, the man would be reading, and though his mind perceived the words, his lips did not move. <laughs> and that this was marvelous, you know, and he, he proposes a few different reasons why this might be. He says, well, maybe it was because if somebody overheard what he was reading, they would want to distract him with debating that particular issue, or maybe it's just because he needed to save his voice for when he preached or, you know, but what's interesting is that Augustine found it interesting (laughs) um, that, you know, that this guy read silently. So it's a good reminder that for most of human history, language has been um, an aural sounding phenomenon. Mm -hmm. Even for those who, so we're not just talking about people who are illiterate. You know, Ambrose and Augustine were both profoundly literate, you know, (laughs) wrote tons Mm -hmm. of stuff and read tons of stuff. But even for them, language was first of all a sounding phenomenon. And that's something that it's really easy for us to forget. Yeah. And it's so funny because we look at that quote and we're like, oh, how quaint. (laughs) Read silently yet. Like it kind of gives us this strange sense of false superiority of like, well, everyone reads silently in the 21st century. Like, who are you? But Oh, that's even, it's even kind of a put down. You know, you say, you know, I, I, thought maybe you're reading. I saw your lips moving. You know, if you can't, you know, right. It's so default. And and I think that's really central because I mean, I certainly want to spend some time talking about um, kind of in a positive way. Yeah. The the ways in which um, speaking and singing and making sound with your voice uh, is important in Christian devotion and faith and all that. But the opposite is just as um, mm. intriguing to me because the thing that's being exposed in our own feelings of quaintness around that quote is just what a text-oriented society we live in. Yeah, totally, uh, totally. And so nonverbal in, in many yeah. ways. And you have this wonderful quote in um, in this article that's so, it's one of those um, very succinct and powerful ones where you just say breath 
carries voice, not text. So voice is carried through breath, through sounding, not through um, just silent text on a page. And I know that's debatable. I mean, there's certainly a metaphorical voice that can be carried through um, books and, and, and silent text and things. But it does get at this fundamental question of how we speak, how we communicate, Mm. how we read, how we listen, and how that's different today. Yeah. And um and what and what all is going on in in how that shapes us as people and what it means to live in a world that is so text centric. Yeah. Well, and there's also it occurred to me just as we were getting started with uh, this episode that it's cool and appropriate that um people are encountering this as a podcast. So there are, yeah. you know, little things that there also are places in society where, um, you know, here are we're talking about ideas. This isn't, you know, we're not playing music. We're not singing. Right. You know, that in that sense, it's kind of, I guess you could say text-based. You know what I mean? Sure. But people are encountering it as a sounding phenomenon. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think what I wanted to draw attention to was just for a lot of church history, when people would have stood up and said the Nicene Creed Mm -hmm. and said, we believe in the Holy Spirit who has spoken through the prophets, that wasn't, they weren't thinking metaphorically, you know? Mm. And I think that when John says in the beginning um, was the word, that he's not thinking in the beginning was the text. You know what I mean? Like in the beginning was this thing that was inscribed in stone or something like that. But but a word Mm -hmm. sounds, um, and for most of human history, sound has been the primary way that people have encountered word. Yeah. Yeah. And sound has such a profound connection to um, the rest of what it means to be embodied creatures. Um, yeah. There's another quote that, that I'll read to you from your own. Mm. Um, yeah. It's so rich when you do that. You know, I wish I could have you drop by my house sometime and just like, kind <laughs> read of you quotes. Read, read me quotes. Like as I'm falling to sleep, you know, like I used to read my kids stories before bed. Yeah. You wrote this one time, Steve. <laughs> um, read me another thing that I said, Drew. <laughs> the materiality of song. The materiality of song, the concrete sounding of scriptures reminds us that the fruits of the spirit are not just pleasant feelings, but are virtues and practices worked out in the routines of our lives and manifested in ways that can be seen and heard. Um, So just as you're saying, you know, uh, in in affirming that the spirit has spoken through the prophets, literally, not just, you know, uh, metaphorically, uh-huh. The fruits of the spirit, um, the things that that are being manifested in our lives, are not being manifested just in some abstracted, um, excarnational way, you know, yeah. um, where we we feel it on the inside. Um, but truly, virtue is enacted. It's mm-hmm. there's a, a measurable, um, qualitative aspect to what it means to be virtuous and. 
Um, yeah. And those things can be seen and heard. Yeah, that's good. It, um, as you're saying that, it makes me think of um, these, the, the two persons of the Trinity, the Son and the Spirit. Um, Irenaeus calls them, uh, early theologian Irenaeus, uh, at times refers to the Son and the Spirit as the two hands of God. Hmm. And um, I think what he means by that, are here, here are the two ways that God is active in the world mm-hmm. by his word and by his spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, and what occurred to me is, you know, if we, when we think about the Son, we do think about incarnation, you yeah. know, we think about Jesus, think of God taking on flesh. And then it's easy to think that, so then the Spirit instead is kind of invisible and kind of um, inward and, yeah. you know, and, and there is something inward about the Spirit, that's fine. Um, but that if the Spirit is God's breath, this also is a way of God being uh, sensibly yeah. manifest in the world. This is yeah. God acting in the world in ways that our senses can perceive in a way that isn't just kind of like, you know, a vague intuition, mm. but actually looks like things happening in the world, you know? Yeah. yeah. And that even kind of brings us into the territory of the word spirituality itself and totally how yeah. it's used today and just how different that is from, um, this sensible spirituality uh, that you're talking about. Um, and it's funny because, I mean, I think even the word spirituality is associated in our culture very much with text and, huh, and inwardness yeah. with text. You know, if you want to yeah. be more spiritual or you want to be more attentive to your spiritual life, you go to Barnes and Noble and you go into the, you know, sort of spiritual, religious, um, looking inward section of yeah. the bookstore and buy a book that you'll read silently to yourself to ponder your feelings and become more inwardly aware. Yeah. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. Right. Um, but you're just kind of drawing this distinction saying like, that might not be the, uh, the most fundamental yeah. truth about yeah. spirit. Um, there's something much more resonant, um, much more mm. just self-evidently true about the Holy Spirit as resounding, yeah. as embodied, as, um, I mean, yeah. wind in the trees. Right. Like, right. that is a better picture than hmm. whatever featured spirituality uh-huh. book uh-huh. you decide to pick up and, right. you know. Yeah, well, and one of, I mean, exactly what you're saying about, um, you know, inwardness Mm -hmm. is, uh, well, actually, let me say that the other way around. Hmm. So you're talking about inwardness, and that's, again, one of the things that's helpful in thinking about um, the spirit speaking Mm -hmm. in a way that's, that's audible is that, you know, a voice addresses us. You know, a, a voice comes to me from outside myself. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, and so again, I think that that's also part of what um, is embedded in you know the, the language of the creed. You know, that is spoken through the prophets. 
that it's not just that um, here's this text and I'm going to explore it and maybe I'll find something that you know, is helpful for me and kind of what can I dig out of sure. the pages of the Bible today. Yeah. But here is God coming to me, addressing me, speaking to me, you know. I mentioned, I don't know, one of our other podcasts, you know, we have eyelids but not earlids, <laughs> you know, that um, I can turn my gaze away from something I don't want to see, but it's very difficult, if not impossible, to turn my ears away from something I don't want to hear. As evidenced by the fact, you know, we're recording this in uh, the second bedroom of Drew's place. And um, we keep having like uh, fire engines and ambulances <laughs> and police cars going past. We have to stop, right? Because the sound intrudes on us, you know, it, yeah. it addresses us. It comes from out there toward me. And so yeah. that's part of, I think, what I want to say too about the activity of the spirit. It's not just what can I dig out of this or something going on inside of me, but here's God coming out to meet me. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, and I mean, you mentioned, you talk a little bit about the monastic life mm. and, um, and especially around that conversation of virtue and mm. practice Yeah, and just how intense it is <laughs> mm-hmm. and how, you know, being a monk isn't just sitting looking inward all the time. I mean, you're getting right. yourself out of bed <laughs> right. really early to right. go listen to God address you. Right. Um, and you're doing that over and over again throughout the day. And there is, there's just this showing up to be um, mm-hmm. vulnerable to the address of God yeah. in that practice. That is a very different understanding of spiritual practice than what probably flashes through our minds as 21st century people sure. who hear that phrase, spiritual practice. Um, we would fill that in not with getting up at an ungodly hour right, um, right. or I, perhaps a very or godly, a very godly hour. hour. Exactly. <laughs> that's that's the problem too. You're just not godly enough. Uh, um, uh. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that was impressed upon me. Um, you know, I, I, my wife um, gave me the birthday present this year of um, a four-day silent retreat. So I don't know what that. <laughs> there might be some a message in there, you know, that we we want you to go away <laughs> and shut up for four days. <laughs> but you know, it was a wonderful gift that. Um, so I went to a monastery yeah. in Kentucky, and um, and. While you're there, I mean, you are to be silent, but you are also invited to join the monastic community and go to their chanting of the hours. Mm. And there is a chanting of the hour, I think, of the hours at four and at seven and at nine and at noon and at three and, you know. So many. So, yeah. So throughout the day, but that's a... um, I don't know, a very, yeah, physically demanding and embodied practice of spirituality. Yeah. Going and doing something. Um, And also, I mean, maybe this is a point to pick up on one other thing. Totally. Um, Going and not just, uh, not only not just thinking about words, 
And not only not just saying words, but when I would go to those hours, they would sing the scriptural texts. So that's one other thing that I wanted to point out. Um, Not only was scripture out loud for much of Christian history, it was sung. Mm -hmm. And that, again, stretches back uh, to... Jewish practice before uh, the Christian church. Yeah. Where um, for the most part, you know, in kind of in public worship, in their gatherings, in their recitations, the Jewish people did not just read scripture, but uh, sang it or chanted it or cantillated it. Yeah. Um, So that, you know, when we think about uh, the spirit speaking through the prophets, that, it was melodic. It was tuneful, you know? Yeah. And even more than that, I mean, like to, to take this phrase who has spoken through the prophets that can be recited over and over again and kind of lose some of its, um, some of its power in repetition. You have this moment in this post where you point out that in Ezekiel chapter three, God tells Ezekiel to eat the scroll being given to him. Yeah. So I ate it and it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. Right. And that, I mean, to our modern ears, like that's just so strange, like to eat a piece of paper or to savor, to make analogies between text and word and like food. Right. And, um, but that is just the embodied incarnational um, sort of posture that is the, not the exception to the rule. Like we are the exception to that rule of history, you know, in terms of the way that the church has um, approached scripture and prayer and singing and practice. Yeah. And what's, you know, characteristic of, um, eating the scroll and it tasting like honey and singing the scriptures is both then are something that, um, you know, is delightful to the senses. Yeah. So that there is this kind of element of, you know, aesthetic delight of physical enjoyment Yeah. Um, to the recitation of the scriptures. Mm-hmm. So it's not just... Here we are, you know, at uh, the library, being silent, you know, at our desk, digging into scripture, you know, as as a- Studious. Yeah, you know, um, working at the text that way. Um, You know, a phrase that we, I often heard people use in seminary was mining the text (laughs) for insights, which, you know, yeah, I I get that totally, you know, Um, and Im- there's imagery like that in scripture too, of you know, it being like gold, right? But still, it's a very different. But not an industrial, <laughs> not approach industrial to mind, like, right? In scripture, yeah. the gold is not, you know, this yeah. extractive, right. uh, violent thing. <laughs> right. I mean, like, yeah. And we have a, a, right, a 20 ton diesel ex- excavator, you know, it's kind of really just want to destroy this landscape to get at the insight underneath it. Right. But how much different then is imagining scripture as a song, as a melody, um, so that our encounter with it 
is delightful. Yeah. So I quoted um, a couple of first or second century Jewish scholars, um, the rabbi Akiva, who lived from 50 to 130 AD, urged his students, um, he was talking about studying Torah. He said, Mm -hmm. sing every day, sing every day, review your studies like a song that one sings over and over. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's another from the Megillah, um, and uh, Jewish rabbinic text. One who studies Torah through song demonstrates that he is fond of his learning. Mm, so that, you know, again, study is not separated from delight, um, from mm. kind of a, a, from beauty. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the obvious question in this, since we're kind of, talking about uh, the beauty of this way of approaching the words of scripture and, mm. um, and what it means to step into them is just how in our time and place can we recover some of that sung, sounded nature of prayer in the life of faith and I mean, obviously, like some suggestions are going to be just as simple as, well, whatever you're reading, read it out loud, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, and try to find some sung or maybe chanted versions <laughs> of the Psalms or yeah. the prophets or, or whatever. Um, but I wonder if there are some more creative, practical suggestions beyond the obvious there about ways to get into that mindset and into that posture. No, no, I just have the obvious. Um, yeah, well, I guess that's it. <laughs> you know, I um, I mean, no, those were things that I was going to say, just the obvious things that you said, honestly. I do think reading scripture aloud in our worship services is essential. Yeah. Um, absolutely essential. Yeah. And that those who read the scripture, that they would take that task seriously, that they would right. practice it, that they would, you know, um, that time would be given to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I sometimes, I always read the text that I'm preaching from mm-hmm. aloud before I preach even yeah. if it's already been read. Right. And I sometimes will say when I preach, the, this reading of Scripture is not the preface to <laughs> God's Word for us today. This is God's Word to us today. Yeah. And then I have some additional thoughts and commentary on it. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, reading Scripture aloud, even, you know— um, and I don't think we need to make an idol of um, orally encountering scripture, but sure. I'd encounter and encourage people as well. Um, you know, I listen to scripture um, being read in my daily devotionals as well. Okay. Not every day, but most days mm-hmm. I have. Um, 
you know, an app or a podcast that I yeah. listen to, um, where they read the scripture passages for the day. Mm. Um, and, you know, the Bible talks about um, when, when the commandments are given to, to Moses, you know, talk about these things with your children as you walk on the road, as you walk in the way. Mm-hmm. Um, yesterday, Julie and I, my wife and I got together to, um, we had some things that we wanted to pray about mm-hmm. during Lent. And so we decided on certain days we were going to meet up at lunchtime and walk together and pray. Mm-hmm. And um, for a while, we just prayed silently as we were walking and then prayed out loud. And it occurred to me how awkward it was at first <laughs> to, yeah. to pray out loud. But yeah. um, to cultivate that practice of, yeah. um, of speaking and reading and praying uh, the the gospel that we announce aloud. It's so good. I mean, even I just very small um, observation, but when you're talking about the gift of just hearing scripture being read and not reading the text, even at the same time, like I, I remember some moments way back in the day when we would meet in person together for church. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, um, how sad. But um, (laughs) when I would make the conscious choice as somebody was reading Hmm. scripture to not look down at the booklet that I have with Hmm. all the words on it, but to Uh just close it and close my eyes and listen Yeah. rather than looking at the text because pretty quickly if somebody's reading, but you're also looking at the text that they're reading, mm-hmm. um, the main event there becomes the printed page, yeah. which is available to me at any time. Mm-hmm. I can read that printed text at any moment that I want, yeah. um, thanks to the internet. But what I can't hear at any moment is this one person's voice, this person mm-hmm. who is in community with me, who yeah. attends church with me, and to hear scripture spoken through this person's voice is such a transitory gift yeah. that I can't get back. It's a really um, good insight, Drew. Yeah. So just that that uh, conscious choice to yeah. make the voice the main event of the of the yeah. moment rather than text. Yeah. You know, one one other thing um, occurs to me as well. Right right now on uh, PBS, there's been over the last couple of weeks, this um, series, uh, documentary series on the black church. Mm-hmm. It might just be called the black church. Now I can't remember, yeah. uh, but we can put it in the comments or whatever sure. with the podcast. Yeah. But, um, you know, the African-American church, I think is a huge, huge resource to um, the American church as a whole in this yeah. respect where, you know, you think for so much of uh, African-American preaching, mm-hmm. um, you know, goes back and forth between speech and song. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so much also of African-American preaching is uh, dialogical. Yes. You know, where there, there is this kind of call and response Incredibly happening. Incredibly happening throughout yep happening yeah. throughout the sermon um and where clearly the 
content of the sermon, for instance, hmm. is not just the ideas, but includes the performance of it. Yeah. You know, the preacher's performance of it in dialogue with the congregation. You know, the, the, together yeah. they perform this sermon. Yeah. And, you know, you could get a text, a written text of the sermon that um, the preacher preached at an African-American church that, you know, w- would be full of rich ideas, but wouldn't carry the power and the meaning um, that was there in the performance of it. It, it would be more you like know? a screenplay or like a stage stage direction exactly than it would be like right. a, yeah. you know, an essay. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, there are a number of um, theologians, actually. So I think of uh, Kevin Van Hooser is one, and N.T. Wright is another, that have spoken of the Bible just that way, that it's, as a, that it's a script. Hmm. Yeah. But it has to be performed. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that yeah. Just, if you just, you know, leave it there on the page, and you don't, you know, or, or even, you know, I think of our, our dear friend and kind of chief rabbit, uh, uh, Pete Peterson, yeah. um, who is a playwright. Right. And he, you know, as he is preparing these plays, he'll have readings, you know, where they all, all the actors sit around a table and, mm-hmm. and read it. But then even how far removed that is from um, staging it. Right. Um, so this, you know, kind of, again, going back to the Holy Spirit is the one who has spoken through the prophets. Remembering that speech is an embodied act that happens in space and time mm. reminds us that this word that God has given us is a word that is meant to be enacted, that it's yeah. meant to sound out in the world, that it's meant to be performed. Yeah. Um, and how we perform it matters. Yeah. You know, the inflection, and you know this, if you've heard people read scripture badly in church, <laughs> that how we perform yeah. it matters to the sense of the thing. Absolutely. They're, yeah. they're bound up together. They can't be parsed out from one yeah. another. Yeah. Um, that's amazing. Uh, yeah. And uh, you write towards the end of this last part of, of your blog series, a spoken voice creates a resonant field, one large enough for others to enter. Mm. And I love that, um, that metaphor of the stage play. It's almost as if the actors on the stage are inviting the audience to jump in and improvise <laughs> and yeah. join it. So there's this hospitable posture um, inherent in the stage play of the scriptures and of the story of redemption. Um, that's yeah, that's right. And that, in a way, that takes us back to Ambrose, who you know, Augustine thought well, maybe he's reading silently because his first theory is I think he probably is reading silently because he's worried that if he reads out loud, somebody will hear what he's saying and will want to enter into a debate with him about it or ask him mm-hmm. questions about it. But see, that's right. When if if I'm just reading silently in my room, yeah. then it is, um, you know, the, all of the activity is internal to me. Yeah. But as soon as I begin reading out loud, then I'm 
my voice is a, a public presence. Yeah. Then there's the possibility of conversation. Yeah. Then there's the possibility that I'll be overheard, even if I don't want to be. Yeah. And if I'm overheard, there's the possibility that somebody will ask me a question, you know, will enter mm. into dialogue with me. So, you know, again, um, this sounding dimension of, uh, of the word that, that the Spirit brings, you know, helps move us outside of the individualism that's, um, you know, so much a, a, a problem of modern American life um, that, you know, when, when we speak, we're entering into a world of others, yeah, <laughs> you know? A shared space. Yeah. Rather than a private totally. one. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Thank you for uh, joining me in this shared space Thank of conversation. Thank you for creating a space we could share, Drew. Oh. It's, it's been a joy. Yeah, a pleasure. <laughs> Same here. Yeah, and thank you to everybody who has um, listened to this season of The Artist's Creed. There is another season that you can find on the Rabbit Room Network, the first season. And we hope to be back with you again with a, a third season. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is brought to you by The Rabbit Room, where art nourishes community and community nourishes art. And all our podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our members. To learn more about us, visit rabbitroom.com. And to become a member, rabbitroom.com slash donate.